one of the issues that every parent faces is the issue of what we might call freedom versus rigidity. And what I mean is, is that, and you know how this is, if you, certainly if you were raised in a Christian home or if you're a Christian parent, there's the question of how far do you go, to what length do you go in cramming your faith down your children's throats? That's really the issue. Like we all know that if we're too rigid, if we're too forceful with cramming our faith down our children's throats, that that can be a problem. At the other side, if we don't ever do anything in terms of expressing our faith to our children, that can be a problem as well. And so certainly we should feel the freedom to say something. Last night, Robin and I went to her Christmas, uh, her office Christmas party, and the lady who was uh, kind of emceeing this told a story about a couple that they were first married, and he wanted to do some things to uh, kind of experience life. You know, he wanted to go do some exploratory kinds of things, but they didn't really have the money, and every time he would say, you know, we should go do this, his wife would say, well, you know, $50 is $50, and we really shouldn't you know, be spending our money on those kinds of things. And so they decided not to do this. And years went by and he would say, you know, I want to do something here. And she would always say, well, you know, $50 is $50. And we just don't, you know, we shouldn't be spending the money on those kind of things. And so they never did. And then he got to the point where he's like, he's now 85 years old. And he said to his wife, look, I've had it. You know, I've gone all these years without being able to spend $50 because $50 is $50. And I want to do something. And I, and I want to take this helicopter ride. So they went over to the state fair where the helicopter rides were being offered. And they decided they would go up in this helicopter. But the, the guy, the pilot, said to them, look, this is great. You know, if you want to go up in the helicopter, that's fine. But I want you to make sure that you don't say anything. Okay? Like, this could be kind of a hairy ride. And so I want you to be careful and... Not say anything. In fact, it's so crucial to me that you not talk during the course of this plane ride that if you don't say anything, I'll give you this heli- helicopter ride. I'll give you the helicopter ride for free if you don't say anything during the helicopter ride. But if you speak one word, if there's one word uttered by either one of you in the midst of this ride, which could get kind of hairy, you're going to have to give me the 50 bucks. So no talking. So they agree. They thought that was a good idea. They go up in the helicopter ride, and it's pretty hairy, and they're going topsy-turvy and going around fast over mountains and down into valleys and everything. And uh, they finally get back, and in the middle of all that, the uh, couple had said absolutely nothing. So the guy gets back, the pilot, they stop, and he says to the guy, okay, so you've got the helicopter ride for free. But it was pretty hairy. Was there not some point at which you thought maybe you should say something? He said, well, you know, when we turned over and my wife fell out, I thought maybe I should say something. (laughs) But 50 bucks is 50 bucks. (laughs) So he didn't say a word. Well, sometimes rigidity can go too far. Sometimes you should say something. I've asked John Casella, because he was raised in the church, if he would share with us for just a couple of minutes what it was like to be raised in the church and to talk about the issue of what it meant for him as a father and also, of course, as a son to experience 
the rigidity of being raised in the Christian home and then have to make decisions about what it means to be rigid or not thereof when you're talking to your children about faith. John? Uh, Some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about because uh, you're about my age and you were raised pretty much the same way. Uh, uh, In this particular movement, we had uh, what was called uh, command, example, and necessary inference. That's how we interpreted the scriptures. The New Testament was a constitution. uh, uh, But in our specific section of the restoration movement, we we used that in a very specific way. Um, and if anyone raised a word or two that said that that might not be the way that we look at things, they were shut down pretty quickly. And um, if someone would say, well, eh, that necessary inference thing, how? what if I don't necessarily infer what you infer? And they were shut down pretty quick. So basically it was whoever ruled the roost in any given church, but we all kind of ruled it the same way. Now, in there, I don't believe that I ever questioned whether my father and my mother loved me. That that was never at issue. But that rigidity at at church made its way into our household as well. And and it's something that I've tried to move away from my whole life. Uh, What happened there, and with, with other families like that, is that our faith was never our own. It was always given to us. It was, we were always told what our faith was and how we arrived at it. And, and though people would tell us, oh, yes, you can question, you can question. Really, you couldn't question. Really. Um, so, and if someone would bring up a scripture in a Bible study as we would open the book, basically to prove that the way we saw things was correct, um, and, and something was odd, well, everyone would get really uncomfortable. And then someone would settle the matter according to, according to command, example, and necessary inference, and New Testament as a constitution. We say things in Bible ways, etc. And then everybody would sit back in their chair and was comfortable again. And that's the way it was. But that was not a system that I could live in personally. So I began to live two lives as a, as a young man away from the house. Uh, one life in a in a bottle and the other at church. And eventually, one gave way, and it was church that gave way, and I went for the bottle. Um, <clears throat> and during that time, I met Sheila. <laughs> yeah! I knew I'd work you in there somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, Sheila has been a great help for me because uh, once we decided to get married, I wanted to be sure that our children were raised uh, Christian, even if she did not believe that. And so she said she would not interfere. But in those intervening years, till I was about 30, she would question constantly what I believed. And she said, well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. She was right. <laughs> And so right about uh, when I was 30, I decided that I knew nothing, absolutely nothing, and that I needed God to tell me what he wanted me to know. And I, I really needed him to tell me. And part of the way my children grew up 
was because you here allowed me to do that. You at this church allowed me to discover the scriptures, to discover what God wanted. From age about 33 to 45, there's about 12 years there where I taught the adult class in whatever room or in here. And you allowed me to discover the scriptures. You were very cordial and very graceful with me. I remember perhaps half a dozen times when someone just was absolutely, John, that's heresy, you, you just can't, you know, you can't talk like that. Anyways, it was you that assisted me in this. And you have to know that that filtered down to my family. I had no rules for learning about God because I didn't know any. I knew what I had was no good, and I was trying to discover, and I knew nothing. And so I tried to remain transparent here as well as in my home. My kids can probably tell you more about this than I can because I was in a process of discovery and still am. I still know nothing except that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's what I know. And um, as my children grew up, you taught them in Sunday school. And I taught yours sometimes in Sunday school. And what they wouldn't hear from me, they heard from you. And what yours wouldn't hear from you, they heard from me. And so together we worked on that and raised each other's children to some degree. And I see that happening again now, and I'm really, really happy about that. The 66 Club, I'm going to be a member someday. Yeah, <laughs> You and me, you and me, we're going to, we're going to say it together. Uh, and so I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing here, that we are helping each other with our faith. We're not pushing everybody into a mold of faith. We're allowing each other to discover. We're helping each other's kids discover what it means to know and to love God. And, and I really appreciate that. So that's, that's how I raised my kids. And for better or worse, we got what we got. And I wouldn't trade them. And they all know and love God. And I can't, I can't say that it was me. Because I know nothing. I'm still learning. And that's all I got to say. Have at it. Well, it's a blessing to hear from somebody who's uh, been there and done that and the struggles that we have. I want you to look at the outline, if you would. Hopefully, all of you have got one. If you don't have an outline, you can hold your hand up, and I suppose Larry probably has some more. Right in the back, Isabella needs one, Larry. Um. We've heard some passages that talk about what it means to train your children in the Lord. Like Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. It's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. I think it's wisdom. It's a reflection about a reality that says if you teach your children about Jesus Christ, there's the chance that they're going to hear, that they're going to believe, and that that's going to be their faith as well. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through, not 96, but through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Again, if you do this, if scripture is central to who you are, is it a guarantee? Well, we know it's no guarantee. But I think there's something positive here about living a lifestyle that gives your children 
And, and for that matter, all of those around you, every opportunity to see something in your life that will claim them for Christ. We've also heard from Ephesians 6.4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, that's an interesting line. Scripture is acknowledging, Paul's acknowledging, that it's possible for a father, and certainly not just a father, but for a mother as well, to exasperate your kids. If I asked John Casella whether or not he was ever exasperated by his father, my guess is the answer is yes. That there were times when he felt exasperated. And I think that kind of rigidity can actually move kids away from what we want them to be in the Lord. We also live out our lives of faith in a context of freedom to choose, we hope, in addition to the kind of rigidity that is sometimes there. And that's the balance we're trying to achieve. How is it that we can teach firmly the truths about Christ and lead our children or other people to Jesus and at the same time allow them freedom? Isn't it the case that in today's society, if you compel your children to come to Jesus Christ, that you are quite likely to be accused of something like brainwashing. Isn't that the case? Like sometimes I wonder if society still wants parents to be able to lead their children in the direction that they would like their children to go. It's almost as if society sometimes says, let them just be. Have them, feed them, clothe them, Sustain their lives, but when it comes to the choices that they make about where they will be in their own lives, ah, leave them to be. And you know the problem with that as well as I do. They won't be left to be. You could choose to stay completely out of the decisions that they make, but they will not be left to be because somebody somewhere is going to have something to teach them. And they'll get it from the internet, or they're going to get it from television, or they're going to get it from their iPod, or their text messaging, or their teacher at school. They're going to get it from somewhere where somebody is going to tell them the things that they ought to believe. It's just going to happen. And so it makes sense to me that somehow we would attempt to balance in our training, in our instruction, what it is that we do with our kids in terms of constructively leading them to Christ, and at the same time, not doing what Ephesians 6 says, and exasperate them. And it's a difficult, difficult balance to achieve. In fact, I would say that as an adult, the most difficult task that I've ever had is trying to achieve that balance. Just wrestling with the issues constantly. What should I say? How should I do this? What's the best course to follow? What mistakes am I making? And and are the mistakes that I'm making eternal here? Am I making decisions and mistakes in the process here that are going to see my children at one point decide not to go with Jesus? You talk about responsibility and the weightiness of a decision. It's huge. And for us to have to wrestle with our children's eternal destiny and think about where they are, may end up, the decisions that they'll make, for us to influence that as greatly as we should and can, is a huge responsibility. So, this morning we're talking about trying to achieve that balance. And 
honestly, folks, there's a sense in which I, I want to say I don't even know. I, I mean, John's raised kids now, but if, if I said to John, okay, John, give me the, the exact plan that we can all duplicate and we'll, we'll be right there. We'll all know exactly how to do this. I think John would say, whoa, I can't do it. In fact, he just told us. He's still learning. And there's a sense in which I'm still learning. Kind of been there, but still definitely learning. And for those of you who are younger parents and your kids are just little and you're thinking, boy, that answer is not good enough. <laughs> It's the only one I have in one sense because there are no guarantees and this is still an incredibly difficult task that we have to raise our children faithful in Jesus. It is a hard one. But let's see what we can do with this. Look at your outline. Principles for creating the balance between freedom and exasperation in training up our children. And I don't mean exasperation for those of you who are trying to parent. The exasperation of your kids from Ephesians 6. With respect to your own attitude, number one, own for yourself a dependency on God with respect to your children's faithfulness. Own for yourself a dependency on God with respect to your children's faithfulness. It seems to me that that is absolutely crucial. The moment that you think you have all the answers, your children will prove to you that you don't. Isn't that the case? And it's especially true with the little tiny ones. Right when you think that you're just old enough and are qualified enough to deal with a two-year-old, your two-year-old will show you that you are not and will exasperate you greatly. Isn't that the case? Those of you who are two-year-olds right now, like I've been there, anybody had a two-year-old in their home and didn't ever get exasperated? You were just always calm, totally had that in control, never felt like you didn't know what you were doing? Of course not. That's what kids are designed for, to make you feel that way. And so we oftentimes end up just there. And we have to be able to depend in that situation on God. In fact, the Holy Spirit as a producer of peace in our lives may be trying to produce that kind of peace in us as much as anything. Giving us that peace that says, no, you're not qualified to do this, but I'm with you anyway. I'm taking care of this. I'm going to do it. God loves your children more than you do, and he cares for them. And that should alleviate some of the anxiety that you have about wanting your kids to be faithful. Just the fact that he is watching out for them at the same time you are. And you're going to make lots of mistakes. You've made mistakes already if you're a parent. You're going to make more, but God is still superintending the process, and he loves your kids, and he's watching out for them. And he placed you in the position of responsibility for them. And if he did that, he must think something good about your abilities to get the job done. And I think he does. I think God thinks good things about parents who love their kids. He wants them to succeed. Number two, rid yourself of self-centeredness. Rid yourself of self-centeredness. We all know of the dad who lives out his life in the ball plane of his kids or in the hockey plane of his kids. And he couldn't get it done when he was a young person. And so he lives out his existence in his kids. And unfortunately, and you've seen this and so have I, sometimes that happens in the church. The fact is, I, I don't know how to say this in and not be kind of blunt about it. The fact is, is that many of us, when our children are not being what Jesus wants them to be, 
are embarrassed. We get embarrassed. We know that somehow, or we think that somehow, this is a reflection on us. And if our kids are not being what we want them to be, it's an easy thing to feel embarrassed. Because we know that God has given us somehow this responsibility. And we have to, I'm calling for you to do so today, to take out of your parenting set the attitude of self-centeredness and embarrassment that sometimes negatively affects your ability to parent. I've told the story before, I remember like it was yesterday, walking by the hallway in Victoria and looking down the hallway and here's a lady mercilessly chewing out my oldest son, who was six. Chewing him out for something that he had done, or at least she thought he had done. And the whole time, her son is tugging on her pant leg. He's about three, and he's tugging on her pant leg and saying, Mommy, Adam didn't do it. Mommy, Adam didn't do it. And I was furious, partially because I thought she was being judgmental of him, but partially because I knew that when she's yelling at him, she's yelling at me because I'm his father. And you can't help but feel it when your kids are not all that you want them to be. And sometimes we just have that sense of embarrassment. And I think it hurts our ability to parent. I think it prevents us from being as level-headed about the decisions we make as parents when it comes to being embarrassed about things that our kids do. In fact, sometimes our kids do things. Maybe they're a little bit negative. Our kids act like kids. And we end up, because we are embarrassed by their behavior, responding in ways to their behavior which are detrimental, maybe overreacting out of our embarrassment to the behavior of our kids. So rid yourself of self-centeredness in all of that. The fact is is that your kids are going to know Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And they're ultimately free free people who are going to make a decision about Christ. And in the end, when your kids are 25 or they're 30 and they've made their decisions about Jesus or maybe still potentially making their decisions about Christ, that's going to be their responsibility, not yours. And you can do the very best you can do with it, but your children are free individuals and they have to make decisions for themselves about Christ. It's not you who's making that decision. We need to remember that. And, uh, and maybe not be so, quite so self-centered. Number three, prayerful confidence will take you much further, further than anxious action. Prayerful confidence will take you much further than anxious action. And sometimes we're actively anxious or anxiously active. And what God really needs from us and what our children need from us at that point is prayerful confidence. So that is... Some stuff with respect to your attitudes, your approach, the style in general with which you might uh, come to this whole issue of parenting and trying to balance freedom and rigidity. Well, with respect to your actions, here's one key principle that I think is crucial. The key principle is this. It's right at the bottom of the page. Create a family environment where Christian faith and service are just who you are. Create an environment, a family where Christian faith and service are just who you are. So that there's a sense in which your kids don't know anything else. 
They enjoy the benefit of just being Christian family. I remember things used to happen occasionally in our family. We'd see something on television or something would come up somewhere, some decision that we had to make in a family. And I can remember saying to my kids, well, we're Christians. That's just who we are. We make a different decision than what the people in the world make because this is who we are. We're Christians. And in that kind of environment, your kids have a chance, I think, to grow into who they are as Christians. You turn the sheet over, if you haven't done so already. And here are some things that go along with this key principle of just creating this environment of being Christian is just who you are. Having faith and serving Christ is just who you are. The first one there is, this must be who you really are. Faking it usually is usually a disaster. And you, you, I don't have to explain this to you. You know what it's like to be hypocritical. You know what it's like to put on the facade. You know what it's like to come here and look like everything is fine and, and put on the Christian's face and the smile and act like everything is great and to carry your Bible and everything else around you is falling apart and you don't admit it. Or you're not at all the person that God wants you to be. Do you think your kids aren't going to pick up on that? You think they aren't going to see? I guarantee you that they will. And so faking it with your kids is liable to be a disaster. And probably will send them exactly the opposite direction. The next point there, your everyday vocabulary should reflect the Lord's presence. Your everyday vocabulary has to reflect the Lord's presence. And the question is, is God really with you? Is he really part of your life? If you say that he's number one, is he really? And can you talk about God as if he really is right there, part of your life, part of your family? I think it's crucial that our vocabulary reflect that reality. Again, it can't be faked. The vocabulary needs to reflect the reality of the Lord's presence within your family's life. The next point, make sure you have regular time together as a family, especially meal times, if at all possible. I know there are some families that just can't do that. Your work schedules prevent you from being able to have meal times together. But man, I recommend it that if you can do this, that you do it. I can remember as a kid, our family always ate in front of the television on TV trays. TV trays became a phenomenon for a while there. And everybody ate off TV trays. We'd set the TV tray up in the family room in front of the television. And we'd bring in the TV dinners. And so you'd sit in front of the TV with the TV tray and the TV dinner. And you'd watch the TV and there was no interaction. I like to think that we've moved past that. But in some cases, I'm sure we haven't. We just need to make sure we don't. And just spend that kind of regular family time together, if at all possible. Next point. Make Christian teaching, teaching of the Bible, part of your parenting responsibility. Make Christian teaching, teaching the Bible, part of your parenting responsibility. We've said a lot lately here that it's not the church's responsibility to teach your children the Bible. And it's not the church's responsibility to parent your kids for you. And that is so true. Do we want to help out? Of course. Do we have a a Bible school here so that we can help with that process? Of course. But the chief responsibility for teaching your children about Jesus and teaching about the Bible is the parents. Next point. Meeting with Christians should be as typical of you as your family times together. 
Meeting with Christians should be as typical of you as your family times together. It should be just so natural. You get up on Sunday morning, you go to the assembly. Your small group meets, you go there. Something's going on with the church, you go there and you serve and you participate in the life of the body. It just becomes, again, who you are. Who are we? Well, we're the family that goes and does this. And in the process, I think something is created, a, an ethos, a mindset, of, a characteristic of who you are as a family that is ingrained in the lives of our children. We use this word osmosis. I think it becomes just part of who we are, transferred automatically into the lives of our kids. Next point. Make Christian service as a family a regular event and make it enjoyable. I just don't know how helpful it would be to drag your kids along with you, with them kicking and screaming and hating every minute of it. But you as a parent certainly have the ability to create an environment in which you can go and participate in Christian service and to do so in a way that's enjoyable. And I think probably the number one factor in making it enjoyable is whether or not you enjoy it. If you enjoy it and you have a great attitude about serving Jesus... Your kids are going to share in that. But if you go reluctantly, or if you go as an obligation, obligatory service to God, as opposed to the joy that's there, I think that creates a barrier that's difficult to overcome. Next point. Make faith talk and church talk part of your family routine. We talked already about the vocabulary of the Lord's presence. But talk about what it means to be part of the church. Talk about what it means to be a Christian and to do so in a positive way. You know, we talk about uh, all kinds of things in negative ways sometimes when it comes to the church. And it's easy for us to focus on the things that aren't positive with respect to what's happening here. And I find that terribly detrimental. And I think it creates a real disconnect in our children's lives with how they're supposed to think of the church. And so be careful of the way that you speak about the church in front of your kids and let church talk just be part of who you are. Maybe the best way to do this is with prayer requests because you hear that there are people in your church family who are hurting. You hear about needs. How can we help? One of the major ways we can help as a family is to pray about those things. Get our children involved in the life of prayer for those who are in the church. Next point, talk openly without pressure. And sometimes this is tough, I know. But talk openly without pressure of the time in the future when your children will make a decision for Christ. Talk openly without pressure of the time in the future when your children will make a decision for Christ. You know, when we we talk to our kids about things like this, we'll say, uh, you know, maybe when they're three or four, we'll say, well, you know, when you go to school, this is going to happen. Or you might say to a kid, you know, when you get married, this is going to happen. Or when you have children of your own, this is going to happen. Or this is how it's going to be when you get your own driver's license and you have the ability to drive. Or when you're an adult and you're out making your own money and paying your own bills, this is how it's going to be. We talk like that all the time with our kids. Well, I think it's totally appropriate to talk in terms of their decision for Jesus. When you make a decision for Jesus, this is what it's going to be like for you. When you're baptized, this is what it's going to be like for you. Or you see that person being baptized, one of these days that's going to be you. Isn't that going to be an exciting time when you make that kind of decision? We need to talk to our kids with reference to the decision they're going to make for Christ. Without pressure. But to do so in just a natural sequence of life for them. Next point, take advantage of teachable moments. 
Take advantage of teachable moments. If you spend a lot of time in the church, or you spend a lot of time serving people for Jesus, your kids at some point are going to ask some questions. Why is that person doing that? How come the lady next door doesn't go to church and we do? Questions are going to arise and you need to seize those teachable moments and use them powerfully to explain things to your kids. Next point, be consistent for the duration. Be consistent for the duration. And I mean for the duration of your parenting life. Let Christ be seen in you the way that your kids need to see Christ in you and do it for years. I can't guarantee, by the way, that you're not going to get tired. I can't guarantee there won't be times when you're really frustrated. I can't guarantee there aren't going to be times when you say to yourself, Oh, I just am so tired. I just want to stay in bed this morning. That would be so much nicer. It's going to happen for sure. But your children need to see in you a person who says, This is the preeminent thing in my life, my service to God, and live it out before them for the duration. Last point, bathe the entire process in prayer. Bathe the entire parenting process in prayer. Now my sense is that when you have done this, you will have created for your family an environment of faith and service that says to your kids, this is just who we are. Let's pray. Lord, it is a hard thing to allow our children to have freedom and at the same time to teach them about you. Father, we want them to have free choice. We want them to be able to make a decision about you. But Father, we want that choice to come as a guided choice. A choice in which they have heard the faith and they've had the opportunity for the gospel to impact their lives. We believe that there's power in the gospel. We believe that there's power in the gospel to affect the lives of our children. Help us to teach them that. And we pray that you'd help them to respond. Through Christ we pray. Amen.